Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and the Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Today is the 100th episode of the Amplify Her podcast. I just got chills <laughs> saying that. I can't believe it's finally here. I have been working on this show for four years and it has not always been easy. I stepped away from the show for um, a year and then I stepped away for it from it for a few months and then came back and I stepped away again and came back and I am totally committed to putting this podcast out into the universe but as I'm sitting here and recording this intro for this interview today, I feel so proud that I have come back consistently to something that means so much to me and something that I love doing. I think it can be really, really easy to be fearful and walk away. And that's a generalization. I think it can be really challenging to walk away from something and, and, and be fearful. But avoiding things um, can come naturally to some of us like me. And when things get hard or, or scary, um, I'm very good at avoiding those things. This is something I haven't wanted to avoid. I have, but I've come back to it over and over again because I love it. It is what I'm meant to do on this earth. And I have grown so much while doing this over the past four years. And so as I reflect upon, <laughs> you know, a hundred episodes and what that means, um, it means I've put in hundreds of hours of work on this show, um, hundreds of hours of recording these episodes and interviews, editing, learning how to edit, learning how to put together a show, um, promoting these shows online and putting together graphics for that, then evolving this mission of amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories and wanting to showcase other creators as they're doing what I'm doing and starting the Amplify Her podcast network and really boosting or attempting to boost the these incredible creators out into the world. And then this week um, on Wednesday, I'll be launching the Amplify Her Networking Group. And my goal is to continue to amplify and uplift women's voices and stories. But this particular group, the biggest goal, I really want to create community and have women make more money. And so I'm learning so much. I when I first started this show, I wasn't even pregnant. Um, I don't think I was married. <laughs> I was engaged and I got married. I had a child, um, went through COVID with a child. I've had a full-time job this whole time. I've been through the ringer and in the best ways and some of the most challenging ways. And I have, I, I hope um, that you feel I've remained honest with you about my experiences because I have, and I've remained in integrity for myself. Um, I've explored so many different things that I didn't think I would ever explore. I've had uncomfortable conversations. I've had great conversations. Um, and so I'm just so full of gratitude. And that's something I really want to say as I'm reflecting on 100 episodes of this show. Um, 
And I think when you hear somebody say, oh, 100 episodes, it might not seem that much. But when I really think about it, it's like that it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of hours. It's not just recording the episode. It's doing all of those other things that I just listed. And it feels really, really cool to hit this milestone. And what I was about to say is above all, I'm feeling so much gratitude. So, so, so much gratitude for you being here for you listening to this show, um, growing this show, and staying with me, and being active participants in the conversations that are happening on this show, and giving me feedback and, and letting me know that that I'm on the right path. The amount of praise that I've received Um, And I'm not doing this for that, but the amount of praise that I've received that I'm like, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's, it's something that I never take for granted. And I I said this to past guest, Kaylin McDuff. I I said, yeah, I I know I'm I'm good at this because she was like, weird. This is what you're meant to be doing. And I, and I was like, yeah, I know. And I've never wavered from that feeling. I've never thought, no, this is, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, Speaking with people, interviewing people, um, shining a light on people's stories. I know that's what I meant to be doing. And and I'm grateful that I have kept pushing through fear over and over (laughs) and over and over and over to, to just sit down and chat on a mic with all of you. Um, so for the 100th episode, I wanted to bring back the very first guest on this show, um, Minna Taylor. And if you have been with me from the beginning, I love you. I adore you. You're incredible. Thank you. Um, I am so grateful, but Minna, um, Minna and I have been friends for years and she is phenomenal. She is um, the founder of Energize Your Voice, um, which is a company that is all about energizing people's voices, but (laughs) um, all about elevating teams to become more agile and productive through improved communication and increased confidence. So Minna is also is all about communication and confidence, but above all, how she's about these things is through practicing play. Um, so we talk a lot about what that means in this episode, and I knew I wanted Minna to come back for this episode for a while. Because it just makes me feel like things are are just full circle and and I can have her back. She hasn't been back on the show since her her first interview. Um, But because I was the she was the first person I approached to be on the show because her work has made me feel so confident. And so and I mentioned this in this episode, but I take so many of the tools that she taught me um, into my daily life, into this show, into present, pre, whoop, can't talk, haha, <laughs> um, is into presenting and into just building my confidence. And when you start something new, you kind of, I, for me, I really needed somebody to, um, you know, hold my hand a little bit in, in a conversation. And I knew Minna was going to be perfect for that. And it was so fun having her come back on and just see the evolution of my show and where I am. And I mean, obviously, I haven't not talked to her since then. We're friends. So we've spoken um, lots and, and we know what's going on in each other's, li- each other's lives. But um, just just from a perspective of having somebody come on as a guest. It was really, really neat. So um, enjoy this interview with Minna. I do want to say, unfortunately, a lot of the audio um, 
there there's some crackling um, inter interspersed in this audio. And so my apologies, I did my absolute best to go through and try and reduce it. Um, but apologies, it is there and persistent. But stick with it. You're going to love, love, love this episode with Minna. She is brilliant, just brilliant. And thank you for being here with me for 100 episodes. It, I, I can't even, yeah, I, I'm so grateful. Um, and I'm really excited for the rest of this year and, and what these episodes will bring. Also, this week, I am going to be releasing an episode every single day. So, um, I'll see you tomorrow with episode 101. I can't wait. Um, Yeah, this is a week full of episodes. So enjoy this interview with Minna and I'll see you tomorrow. I love you all so, so much. Happy 100 episodes. Minna, welcome back to the Amplify Her podcast, which has had two name iterations since you were first on my show. Um, And it is the 100th episode of this podcast, which is so exciting. Welcome. Christina, I could not be more grateful for (laughs) you inviting me back, you having me on so long ago, and also just so proud of what you've created. I was thinking back on it and what you sought to do with Amplify Her Media. It's like you started that out in such a heart-centered place and it has evolved to really meet that vision in such a tremendous way. I'm just like so, so proud of you. You're gonna make me cry and we're not even a minute into this episode. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am, well, you were the first person I thought of um, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for the 100th episode, because you were my first guest on this show. And you were the first person I thought of as my first guest on this show. And for those of you who have not listened to the first episode of of the podcast, um, Minna and I met through networking. And we were a part of a big networking group in New York City um, when we were all meeting in person for meetings and going out in person a lot more. And so every single week we would see each other. And Minna used to have the best pitch in the room. Um, And I have learned so, so much from you about confidence, about being centered in my voice, uh, just approaching things with authenticity and play and fun. Um, And so when I first started this, I really wanted it to be about shining a light on how we can use our voices in the best way possible. When we first started doing this together, um, I rented an office space in downtown Manhattan that was not soundproof. Um, I had this computer that I'm on right now and I pressed play and I think we were just both hunched over <laughs> the computer just talking after the sound noise. <laughs> And um, I wasn't editing my show. I just like, I knew if it wasn't, if I didn't take action, I wouldn't do it. And you were so generous to come into such a chaotic situation (laughs) and just sit down and chat. I would love to know what, um, first of all, can you tell people what you currently do? And then I'd love to talk about like the evolution of your life since that episode. So what are you currently doing in your business? Yeah, I, uh, it's so funny. I have such a vivid memory of that space, P.S. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> it's so funny. Um, you know, what's interesting is, and and I'll respond to something you said in relationship with the question you just yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which is, you said, Uh, you know, so generous to come into such a chaotic situation. And what I'll say is the nexus of my work is around adaptability, agility, responsiveness, and resilience to the ever evolving landscape of the present, which means becoming very deeply in tune to things that feel chaotic and uncertain and 
unpredictable and unprecedented? And how can we instill practices and behaviors and reinforce the way in which we engage authentically in those spaces to create the most optimal outcome? Right. And this all happens through play. And so what I've been up to, what I'm currently doing now is I work with uh, organizations. So that means multinational organizations. I work a lot with global remote teams. I work with executive leadership, uh, really around how do we foster and implement the principles of play. And uh, so I'll, I'll describe it really quickly what play is. And I write about this in my book. So that's another thing that I did is I wrote a book yes. called The Confident Body, a functional approach to unlocking your full potential. And when we talk about play, I take play very seriously, like super seriously. I think it is one of the most fundamental aspects that we neglect as humans and as professionals trying to make our way through this life that is inevitably chaotic and uncertain and riddled with failure. <laughs> so yeah. when we when we think about play, uh, it is it is the thing that brings confidence to life, but it is also innate to all of us. We all have not only innate desire to play, but an innate capability to play. It's one of the earliest things we do instinctually. Uh, and as we become more self-aware, that sense of playfulness you know, rises as we become socialized and then it dips as we understand what is appropriate, as we are dictated in terms of our behavior, as we reinforce certain beliefs about ourselves and the world around us. And play is that uh, intangible space of unpredictability and aliveness. So if we think about it as energy, uh, it is the space where, where imagination sparks. It is the, the space where people meet in a moment of uncertainty and then merge. And it is really the absolute point at which authenticity and truth can come to life with purpose. And so that is, uh, that's what I bring into all of my clients. That is where I place my own personal growth attention. And it's what I'm witnessing is really lacking in a number of important and vital spaces, both uh, on a corporate level, um, in industry, as well as on a social level, a global level, and especially a governmental level. Yeah, 100%. I love um, that so much because I know that play has been the thread of your career with Energize Your Voice and um, through all of your practices. I would love to go back to 2019, Minna. Um, because you had mentioned you're doing things on a global scale. Um, you're practicing with lots of partners. Um, your book has come out. You wrote a book. So 2019, Minna, in February, we recorded our first episode in February of 2019. And I know that play has been integral in, in your work what were you doing then that you have, you know, gracefully let go of now or warmly evolved in your business? Because I'm always very curious about the narrower focus that we um, we bring as we get more experience in life, because I think that's necessary when you're evolving. So what has what has um, changed? I think it's not so much that it's changed as things have essentialized. Thinking back to 2019, I think we all know the disruption that happened a year later, um, which was the pandemic. And so in 2019, we were working with corporations. We were still working globally, although traveling to do so because our work was primarily around using improvisation, in-person experiential trainings to elevate performance around public speaking, presentation skills, leadership, and storytelling. 
And once the pandemic happened and once uh, everyone stopped working <laughs> in person, we really had to shift. And so right at the start of that, I myself harnessed play in a very sincere way uh, with two distinct investigations. So one was how do we overcome obstacle creatively? And so I activated four words for myself and my team. So internally, our words were incubate and experiment. <laughs> and externally, stay relevant and stay visible. So really that required us putting content out there, being responsive to what people were asking, pain points that were arising, the chaos that was emerging. We knew that we were primed to participate in that conversation in a meaningful way that could support people to weather this very turbulent storm. Uh, so those were the words that we were working on. The other half of the, so that's behaviorally how we were sort of contending yeah. with losing all of our clients that canceled all of their trainings that we had booked for the next nine months because they were either freezing budgets, laying people off or furloughing their employees. And obviously, although I consider us a need to have when it comes to professional development training in this type of capacity, um, it was sort of a nice to have, right? Although right. it is a revenue driver, it's not explicitly about sort of chaos control. What it really called me to action around in my own curiosity was, okay, if we've been using improv as a tool, if that has been the foundation how, what is the function of improv? What does improv elevate? What does it transform uh, for people that participate in it? And how can we still, if we're not looking at this visceral in-person experience, how can we move this visceral experience into a virtual platform? And so that really challenged me to think, okay, what is it that we're ultimately doing? And that's how I really came to sort of this essentialized version of authenticity, truth-telling, and listening. Uh, obviously, play is going to be at the foundation of all of that, but that really now opened up a lot for me in terms of how I went about building and designing programs for our clients. So one of the first programs I did, uh, it was in 2020, it was in September, of 2020 was for Huge Inc., which is a multinational organization. And I connected with this woman who led the global women's organization. And uh, I pitched Empowered Play, which is one of my signature half-day workshops. I designed it first for European women in tech in Amsterdam back in 2018. And so I pitched it to her and she was like, this sounds amazing. Let's do it. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. Yes. Ooh, okay. Okay. Someone said yes. You know, after nine months, I was like, <laughs> um, but then that challenged me to say, okay, I've designed this entire program to be in-person improvisation. How do I now meet the needs of what this program sets out to achieve in a virtual landscape and facilitated to over 500 people? Right. What does this look like? <laughs> and that really started on the journey of this experimentation of how can we still foster this notion of, of immediacy and resilience and adaptability and creative problem solving and inciting the imagination to address sincere challenge. Um, that was really sort of the, the catalyst for that. And, and I really, really am so grateful for them taking a chance on us and for giving me the opportunity to sort of test out this new theory about how this more essentialized idea of what it is that we're doing can really be effective on a mass scale. <laughs> yeah, I'm so curious. How, how did people respond to doing something um, in this new way, because I think something that was and continues to be, it was and continues to be so signature about our lives is so much of it is now online. And so many in-person activations can now be online. Back then, it wasn't very common, you know, it, we, it was out of necessity. So 
how did people respond to this program? Well, I was really fortunate in that this particular organization had always been a global company that was accustomed to working with remote teams. And so they were already used to engaging on platforms virtually. So that was already one obstacle that we didn't really have to anticipate overcoming or onboarding people in terms of being open to engaging in this way. So that was a really fortunate thing. Uh, And what I'll say is, they, well, the brief answer is they loved it. And here's why they loved it. Because uh, the pandemic was a particularly strong example of how we can become so tension filled in our day to day lives, especially high performers, there is tremendous pressure, both uh, intrinsic and extrinsic pressure to um, meet to exceed expectations, to go, quote unquote, above and beyond. And in this unprecedented landscape in which they found themselves, the tension had really increased. What we brought in was an opportunity to open up the body, to express the voice, to clear pathways of tension, to bring them back into presence so that they could have some sense of energetic stasis, you know, find some level of equilibrium where they could finally focus and feel at ease in the way in which they were navigating their day-to-day tasks. And so seeing that come to life on all these little dots on Zoom and seeing people just have the sense of literally a weight being taken off of them when they relieved themselves of that through these simple practices of connecting to breath, opening up the body, releasing the voice and then putting all of that into action through play gave them this sort of a re-invitation to be at ease, even amidst the chaos and uncertainty. And we have just continued to build on all of those principles uh, over the last couple of years. Well, that is beyond gorgeous. And I think that um, when you're taking something in a, in a situation that's really traumatic, and off giving people permission to play, um, have a moment to themselves can be very special. Uh, I'm, you know, curious about, I, I knew that you wanted to write a book for a while and that you had that swirling in your brain for, for quite some time because you had mentioned it probably in 2018, maybe before then, um, when you decided to take action, what was the catalyst for that? And for those who are kind of listening and maybe having the same thoughts, um, how did how exactly did you take that action and how did it come together? Because it seems like a monumental undertaking. Well, fortunately, I was working from home, so I had a lot of extra time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I it's not that I wanted to write a book so much as people were like, just write a book already. Uh, because, because I would find myself, A, I've been sort of spouting the same philosophies for over 10 years, and there is sort of a synthesis or an amalgamation of the variety of practices and principles that I've studied over the last 20 plus years, uh, and really synthesize them in a very specific language. And when I'm in a space where I am trying to impart these principles in person, and then people ask me to repeat myself, I can't do it. (laughs) I really challenge, because I don't think about what I'm saying so much as I channel a specific thought or intention. And so a book (laughs) was the natural course to sort of document all of those things in one place. So that really got me moving in that direction. And I I had the idea, I think it was 2021, uh, to get my button gear and do it. And so I came up with an idea and I was kind of charting it out. And then we, uh, it kind of got put on the back burner because we got certified as a uh, women minority business enterprise for the city of New York, which opened up a whole myriad of opportunities for us. And so obviously um, coming out of the pandemic or still in the pandemic, business development was definitely a priority over writing a book. 
But then around April, I had a friend who was participating in a program with Georgetown University called the Book Creators Program. And it was a nonprofit and they would help you write a book. And I was like, okay, now's the time. This is the sign that it's a perfect incubator. It will be a container to help me not only be accountable, but offer me the resources that I need, like an editor, like a marketing and revisions editor, like a proofreader, like a cover designer and a book designer and a layout designer. And um, so I just went for it. And I kicked off that process. Uh, and, and fortunately, I already knew what I was going to write about. However, the way the book ended up evolving, although the essential principles in the book are the same, the way in which it's delivered is very different than I had envisioned. Thank goodness. Um, I think it's much more authentic. There's a, a much heavier reliance on storytelling. And I was, I had to really be disciplined about it. Um, writing, I think I wrote the initial draft was 50,000 words. And so that required me then to every morning, I didn't incorporate this as part of my day. So I would wake up and I would start writing. Usually I read every morning. And so for about five months, instead of reading, I would write. So I would write for two hours every morning, either revising something I had written or generate a new chapter. And so I was just really disciplined and really diligent about making sure that I was in production mode. And so I ended up writing a first draft in about five months. Um, revisions took another three months, and then it was finally published in April of last year. And how does it feel now to have that as like a companion to the work that you're doing that you can point people to? How is that, you know, feeling in your body to bring that into the world? You know what I think is the biggest benefit and why I wrote the book is um, one, because uh, I wanted it to be a resource for my clients. So even now, if my clients have a question or even if I'm on a discovery call, I can say, you know what, buy my book that will give you like an absolute overview of what it is that we do and be able to start sort of thinking critically through these principles, if it's something that you're even interested in pursuing, you know, sort of like a, um, a pre-frame, right, uh, for what it is that they can expect from me. The other aspect of that, one of my values is democratizing high quality professional development training. And I really think it's important for people to have access to these tools. If you work with Energize Your Voice, it's um, not inexpensive. Uh, now that's, we are very competitive in terms of other corporate <laughs> training vendors. Yeah. Um, we actually are very inexpensive in relationship to, I think the level of spending from corporations on professional development that has low efficacy and low integrity of learning is pretty egregious. And so our pricing is representative of something that can sustain a business as well as be democratic in pricing for any level of organization to be able to take advantage of our services. But in the value of democratizing this uh, education, a book was a no-brainer access point for that. It's a really low buy-in. It gives people literally whatever you read in the book, I will teach you in a workshop, right? So it gives everyone the resources because I think that we all deserve to live in a confident body. We all deserve to understand how to share our voice. I know you believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And we, we all deserve the opportunity to gain deeper insight into our habits and behaviors that have become unconscious, have tools and practices to bring them into consciousness so that we can now have something tangible to take action around if we're seeking transformation in any given area. Gosh, yes, yes, yes. To all of the above, because something that has evolved from when we first spoke on this show to now is I wanted to get women's stories out there. I wanted to figure out how exactly the women in my life or women around me and in other people's lives were getting stuff done and doing things. And it's so lovingly has evolved into 
showcasing women's voices and stories. And that was the part that became so important in this work through interviewing women over and over again were were the responses that I was getting from other people that were like, I'm so happy that I listened to this person's story because I learned something, but also I can relate to so much of what they're saying. I didn't know this person had this background that I have and that they were able to do A, B, and C through these resources, or they made me feel a lot less alone. So when you're talking about authenticity and showing up with integrity and then also providing resources for people to be able to transform and use their voice. I believe in that so, so strongly because I think it can be very lonely when you don't realize that there are tools out there, when you don't realize that there are resources out there and the transformations that can happen in just simply, you know, sitting and and stepping into your body and becoming confident to say something out loud, (laughs) it changes your brain. And I think what's so beautiful about your work is that it has remained uh, effective and authentic and it's full of integrity. And I know that that's really important to you is being full of integrity and authenticity. But I also know (laughs) that you're a very fun person and that you know, aspect. I've been very serious on this. I'm like, <laughs> this is like, let's talk about play, but it's serious. Everyone's like, chill out. <laughs> but I think it's so cool because you bridge the gap between um, getting down to the facts of uh, of what is most important, looking at what exactly um, we all need. And then like, like you, you talk about play as if you're collecting data on play, which you do. And um, not a lot of people would think about it that way. You know, I think when we think about play, we think of a playground or we think about running around with a kid. We think about this childhood fantasy of of play. Um, And since we've spoken, I have had a child. And I know. Um, and something that, um, I have learned is that by the time we're all five, we're, we're like all considered like creative geniuses and that wanes and wanes and gets smaller and smaller. And, uh, and it, uh, I believe I've read that, uh, when we're 25, uh, 5% of us could be considered creative geniuses and, and we don't hold on to that piece of play and creativity. So I'm curious about how exactly you're integrating play into your work um, in a tangible way, just examples of of pieces that you bring to the forefront with people when we're talking about this specific piece of welcoming this thing that might seem a little silly back into our lives. So you said the word right there, silly. And I really believe that silly is our superpower. So going back to something I said earlier, which is we all have this innate desire to play. It speaks directly to what you just expressed, which is as children, we are creative geniuses, right? And what that really means is it's not because we're brilliant people. We don't have like a superior intellect. We have the willingness to wonder. We have the willingness to get curious. We have the deliberate instinct to be like, huh, or woo, or hmm, or mm-mm, right? We have uh, this, this desire to understand and process and then respond to the world around us, whether that's relationships or obstacles or opportunities or new information or revisiting old information. Um, I'm sure you know, right? Kids will all of a sudden start being like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So 
<laughs> so they are now revisiting these things that they have been told is good. And now they have opinions about it and are playing around with this idea of coming to their own conclusion. And so when we bring this into organizations, it's about not only teaching people how to reignite play for themselves, but also help them understand how to play well together. Uh, and so this is specifically through tangible practices. So some tools that we offer, for example, are different ways that you can give feedback. How do you engage in challenging conversation and some structures to do that, that are all based on the principle of yes and. And so how do we acknowledge, elevate, and advance, which means how do I receive information and then build upon that information toward a positive or conclusive outcome versus engaging in what might be defensive communication or conflict-oriented communication in the form of no but or even yes but. And so that's one of the aspects we bring in. The other aspect is when we give people permission to engage in this childlike space of silliness, right? Um, a few things emerge here. I feel really stupid. <laughs> this exercise is really stupid. Why did I sign up for this? Oh my gosh, people are looking at me. Look at that person over there. They look stupid. And so there's all this judgment that comes in because I'm challenging people to not move out of their comfort zone, but actually like expand into the comfort zone that they had when they were born. Yeah. So this is not about building anything new, right? It's about reinviting what is innate to us. And so through, we use, we still use improv exercises. We use collaborative dialogue. Um, we use things like what's in the box and group storytelling and this super fun exercise that I use with the New York city department of health and mental hygiene the other day called Katie wants a corner. And <laughs> it's really about how do I, in the face of obstacle, maintain a zoomed out vision so I can still contend with all the other variables going on around me. Yeah. How do I, how do I not only see opportunity, but seize opportunity? How do I take risks and know that I have the resilience built up to contend with whatever outcomes uh, that risk might entail? And so that that's really, I'm getting very passionate about this. Oh, um, this I have so really many things swelling in my brain where I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll stop there. I think I've said too much, but that's no, you have not. I, well, no, I, I completely agree because, okay, there's, first thing I can think of is through that work, through channeling silliness, play, you're calming your nervous system. You're looking into your body for the answer. You're not trying to overthink it. One of the things you taught me was to really shake out my body and really breathe deeply and and really get centered in the core of my body and I've taken those tools to today you know like I don't breathe too too deeply right before I present because I think about you and I think about what you taught me that your nervous system is is always looking to be balanced and you can do that in these different ways where you can shake up your brain and you can be silly and then come back to a moment where you can be centered and present yourself in your body. And I think about now with my son, I am so silly and I, so is my husband. And I think about specifically, we went um, to go visit some friends and we were all at lunch and my son was eating and and we were just all, you know, interacting with each other. And my husband and I at some point had ended up taking his socks and putting them over our noses and being like, we're elephants, like, and our friends were not doing anything at the table remotely, just like kind of just chilling with their kid and you know living their lives. But for me, and I know for my husband, that is how we find effective communication with our son and effective communication with his world is to tap back into that space. And not only does it calm him, it calms us because we can approach things 
in a very playful way. So when I'm thinking about what you're saying, you know, you were talking about pitching programs. You're talking about coming into a room and having a tough conversation or giving feedback, you know, thinking about how to do that in a way where it's, or or even being with yourself before you have those conversations in a way that's playful, I think is very meaningful and something we often forget in a world where we're supposed to be buttoned up and professional. So I, I don't really have a question out of that tangent, but well, I, I have a response to that last thought, which is um, play. I, I love the, the socks over the bed. I think that is so fun. Um, and that's a very deliberate expression of play. That is sort of one of the most essential ways that I think we can categorically identify play. But when I say I take play seriously or play is not unserious, I do want to look at this notion of uh, the buttoned up professional. So we can either think about play as sort of the, the broad spectrum of silly which can be confronting from people because it invites judgment and resistance and rejection. And it's deeply vulnerable to kind of put yourself out there in that way, even though it's innate to you. But I like to use the example of a battleship, mm. the game. You know, people aren't putting on, co- I mean, maybe they're, I don't know, but like, you know, they're not like putting on costumes. They're not dancing around in a circle. They're not taking shots after someone. I mean, again, maybe they are, but in its most original expression, they, they're like hyper-focused, right? And so play is really listening and responding. So it doesn't need to be this silly, frivolous thing. So when we think about being buttoned up or professional, let's say you're going in to have a challenging conversation. Let's say you're walking into your boss's office to negotiate a raise. Let's say you're asking for a promotion. Let's say you're saying to some organization or some human that you need to move on. The way play comes in distinctly into that conversation or that interaction is through just what you're saying, connecting to the breath, breath flow, body flow, brain flow, confidence flow, and play will be at the core of that. If we connect to our breath, that is how we listen because breath is connected to uh, inspiration and expression. So we breathe in, we literally inspire uh, what it is we're receiving from our outside environment. Uh, When we breathe in, if we are in a body that is liberated of tension and we're simply breathing in without sort of this seeking to like find our entry point, but we're breathing in, we have awareness, we're receiving the information. We're now processing the information in our bodies through our breath, which then taps in to our center of responsiveness, which is in our pelvic floor or root chakra area, depending on what methodology you come from. Um, And that now allows us to respond in a way that meets the needs of the moment that is unfolding before us, not the moment that we have predetermined in our minds. So that now invites a few things, distinct things into this conversation. One, it allows me to be distinctly aware of my own personal constitution. So do I feel my energy getting elevated? Do I feel like I'm getting defensive or want to retreat, right? And can I really re-engage my focus on the person in front of me? So it allows me to be responsive to my own behavior. It also allows me to really receive the experience of the other person so I can activate things like compassion, understanding, resolution-oriented interaction, pausing, right, de-escalation, understanding. And and so play is very serious. If we think about engaging those interactions, not in a way that's about uh, preparing, coming up with strategy, um, having an expectation of outcome, preparing for worst case scenario, which maybe you do all of that, right? Maybe let's say you do all of that, but that's all preparation. Once you're in the space, the only thing you can do that will make that moment effective and meaningful for everyone involved is to listen. 
to actively and authentically listen, not think about what you're going to say, but be present in listening. As humans, we want to feel seen and feel heard. And if we engage in any interaction with that as our primary motivator, then the outcome, even if it's not ideal, even if it's not what we had desired, I guarantee you that both parties will at least feel better about how it concludes. Yeah. I mean, and it really is just so, it's that moment of of power also of knowing that you have the power and the ability to step into a situation and say something that maybe you're fearful of, that is challenging you, maybe asking a company to support you monetarily in your program, you know, like all of those moments really in, in what you're saying really highlight stepping into one's power and doing so in a way that feels good in that moment and feels powerful for both parties. Well, because if you don't come in to it, if you come in at like a me versus you, right? Yeah. Two, two distinct entities that are somehow having to come together, but you have your kind of hidden non-negotiables and they have their hidden non-negotiables. And, you know, it, I, I think if we enter into it in any way other than in breath and open in body, and now we can fully receive it's it's empowering and it's powerful because it makes you feel at ease, which is distinctly disarming to people. Right. They don't <laughs> expect people to show up into these moments. Like I talk with, <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting here in my sweater. I got like my energizer voice tank top on, you know, and I still engage with chief executives of multinational organizations in a way that feels distinctly human. It is not about status, although there's respect involved, right? I'm still very professional, but we're human. And so if I show up into that space in any way other than receiving, right? Ready to understand and then respond through deep and intentional listing, which can only happen when I'm at ease in my body, that I've lost an opportunity both for myself and for them and potentially for the people that they represent. And so the power really comes in it being easy. You know, as opposed to living in the narrative of the context at hand, you can sort of be an objective observer of your circumstance, even in the moment when it's happening. So Eckhart Tolle talks about this as being sort of the watcher of your experience. And so you can do that if you're connected to breath. You can both be authentic and present in the interaction as well as observing the interaction as it unfolds. Those two things can happen simultaneously. And I think so much of what you're speaking to is knowing your worth, knowing your value, knowing you're worthy and valuable of being in those rooms and flexing that muscle of, hey, I am worthy of being here. So here are all the things that I'm going to do to make sure my body knows, my brain knows, I'm going to activate all of these pieces so I feel worthy and powerful and heard and seen. And I think that in particular, uh, women and minorities have been told for so long that their voices don't matter, that they're not worthy, that they don't have a seat at the table. Because through so much of what you're explaining to me, I really think you your work challenges the notions of our patriarchy and of white supremacy culture. Because the traits of the patriarchy and white supremacy culture go hand in hand. We're looking at perfectionism, individualism, one right way. We're looking at um, quantity over quality, Um, looking at metrics versus the bigger picture, Uh, looking at um, that perfectionism piece as far as being a buttoned up professional individual that has been an example of the masculine 
for so long. And so I think a lot of what you're saying, competition, competition. Yes, (laughs) exactly. That there's not enough space for all of us to thrive, that it only is for a specific group of, what does it mean to like be a high performer? How do we create context around that? And those spaces are distinctly defined by masculine behavioral archetypes. And that doesn't necessarily speak to men, although I think it is largely indicative of this sort of white supremacy culture. Um, and, and so how do we become disruptors from within is to say, fine, I cannot shift that system. That system is deeply entrenched. We don't have times to get in time to get into the ways in which it is deeply entrenched in almost every facet of our society in America specifically. Uh, but what we can say is how to become radicalized for ourselves. And that means showing up in those spaces, not in contention with, but in conversation with right. these systems. Yes. And, and doing so um, in a way where you're, you're practi- practicing these things to then become an ally for other people in the world. That workspace. to me is the most important part. It gives you the opportunity to yeah. advocate not only for yourself, but for others, you know, and especially if you're a white male, it is very important that you also engage in these practices. I know you're talking about self-worth and like, that's not really my area of work. I'm like, that's sort of more psychological stuff. I I know it may be an outcome, (laughs) but it's not necessarily like the driver of the work. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a natural byproduct of becoming grounded in one's body. But I think every, you know, across the spectrum of gender, uh, I think it is absolutely fundamental that we reconnect with our bodies in order to have these inclusive spaces where conversation and effective dialogue can take place. Because to your point, we are underutilizing the tremendous potential that is held within these global workforces uh, when it comes to innovation, creative problem solving, um, the genius that is there hidden in people that have felt like their voice does not have a place that is a problem. So giving people the opportunity to advocate for their own genius, as well as supporting and encouraging others to advocate for people to share their voice, that can only happen when people are breathing and listening. Yes, exactly. And to put this in a very simple scenario, um, you know, say you have a supervisor and you're approaching your supervisor for a promotion or a raise. All of those alarm bells are going off in your body. But say your supervisor has been practicing all of the things that you teach, Minna, um, and then they've been trying to help you practice those things as well. Then you have the tools coming into that conversation with your supervisor to come in with power and ease and respect. And I think that moment of allyship, because that can be a very fearful conversation for folks. You're talking about people's livelihood. You're talking about their growth in life. Then the the playing field is, is leveled. You know, you're able to come in a space that's authentic. Am I, am I correct? You're nodding. So yeah, I'm assuming ab- so. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's teaching people how to play well together. And that scenario that you just outlined is kind of like best case scenario. It's like, we are a company that fosters presence and authenticity amongst right. all of our employees. Right. It's like, and let's be honest, that doesn't happen. No, nor should it happen. Right. We, the, the reason human society works is because we are a, um, collection of unique, curious, and often flawed humans, right? <laughs> like, and so we, we need to be responsive to that. And, and so the one sort of thing that I'll add on to that is you can only control yourself. And so hoping that your supervisor has implemented these tools that you learned in an offsite two weeks ago, right? Um, that may not be the case. But if you have, even if you're still developing these habits, right, even if you're prepared to walk into that room and you're like, oh, my God, I hope they listen to me. Oh, geez, they were so angry earlier today. They have they're prone to trigger, blah, blah, blah. Right. They haven't been listening to me. Oh, he didn't respond to my last email with an exclamation point, whatever it is. Right. Um, You know, it's like we read into these nuances of things and like create narrative around it. And so whatever way in which you find you're preparing mentally to enter into these places, it's coming back to the body. Right. And, and then 
activating these very simple tools that will allow you along with awareness of the body to engage in those conversations and do what's called what I call crossing the threshold of fear to call to rise to the occasion, right? So if you're like, how do I even begin, right? You can follow this really simple framework and I forget who created it, but one of my facilitators introduced it to me, which is I like, I wish, I wonder. And so even if that's the framework that you're using to initiate the conversation, it gives you a clear landing point to activate voice with thought, to initiate the conversation and give you time to calibrate your energy into the space. Oh, I really like that. And I know oh my, this hour flew freaking by. Oh my God. Oh my wow. God. <laughs> I mean, Oops, you and I can talk you. about this for hours. Um, but the, the work that you do has helped me so much. And you know that like when we first met, I was very fearful in my body. And I think something that you really drive home is practice, but not too much preparation. And so as far as when I've spoken to you about these things, like don't get too in your head about it. And the conversation around trusting your body to do the work to then allow your voice to be heard and, and for you to be seen. Mm. I'm going to cry. <laughs> like that is such a gift. <laughs> and like, I feel like so fortunate to know you, to be able to have met someone to make me feel more confident in my body and like help me launch something that is very fearful <laughs> and full of fear for me in order to then connect with so many other people in this way. Because I think part of what um we all I mean I, I'm not I don't want to speak for everyone but I believe in myself you know like I have I had this idea to start this and I believed in it but I was very scared and I knew you would be a safe person to talk to in order to launch something and make me feel safe and the value of continuing that on with people over and over and over through your work, it's priceless. And so I just want to thank you. I'm like really trying not to stop right now. I just want to no, thank I'm you. like obsessed with it. Well, and Christina, I think you really walk the walk. And I think you're a really thriving example of this notion that practice and all is coming. Practice makes right. possible. And through consistency of practice of the physical body, communication is a physical activity. It is not a theoretical or logical process. It is a physical activity. And so by continuously practicing, your body will then be prepared to rise to these occasions like starting a podcast like having a challenging conversation with your boss, like telling someone you love them for the first time. Yeah. If you engage in these practices, your body will always be prepared to speak your voice. Oh, what a beautiful way to, to end that. And um, what a gift to be able to give to others. So thank God you have continued and that you continue with your work. It's so valuable. I know that you're doing this on such a large scale, but please know like for individual humans that love you very much like me, it's, um, it has meant so, so much to me and I can't, I will be continuing to cheer you on so hard. When your book came, I was so excited and I'm just so thrilled for you. And I, I think you're just the best. Is saying ditto too reductive? <laughs> <laughs> You're one of my favorite 
we're humans. I think what you're bringing into this world is glorious. I think, again, you're deeply heart-centered and I'm so excited for you on this hundredth episode and to see what happens in the next hundred and the impact you're going to make to amplify yourself and other women entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Um, it's a really special, special incubator that you have created and of tremendous value for your listeners. Thank you, my love. I love you very much. Thank you for being on here. Um, and yeah. please, if you're, we'll link all of Minna's information in the show notes. You can go work with her, buy her book, follow her online. Just nom, 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 eat up all the goodness um, that Minna puts out into the world. Drop <laughs> into those DMs. Have a DM. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, cheers to 100 episodes of the Amplify Her podcast. And please, please never forget that your voice matters and your story matters. And I will see you on episode 101. <laughs> Bye, everyone. The Amplify Her podcast is a part of the Amplify Her Media Network. You can check out more shows on the Amplify Her Media Network over on Instagram at Amplify Her Media.